Thanks for listening to the ODI podcast, covering inspiring stories of data use and impacts around the world. I'm Anna Scott, and this is one in a series of podcasts about standards as part of our research and development programme. Today we're joined by Rachel Rank, Chief Executive of 360 Giving. Hi, Rachel. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just firstly introducing yourself and telling us a bit about the organisation you work with. So I am the first CEO of 360 Giving, which was established in November 2015. We were founded by a group of like-minded philanthropists and open data experts, and I wrote the first strategy and got it going a couple of years ago, and we're now a team of four. So small but beautiful. (laughs) Exponential growth. (laughs) Could you tell us a bit about the standards that you've been involved with developing or supporting? We've designed a standard, which we call the 360 Giving Standard, that grant makers can use to share information about the funding they give so anyone can find out who is funding what where and what for. We were inspired by other open data standards, including open contracting and IATI, and felt that it was something that was lacking in grant making. It was really hard to find out who else is funding what. And when we talk about grant makers, we mean anyone giving charitable funds, i.e., money that you don't want back. So it could be government, local government, local authorities, charitable trusts and foundations, community foundations. So it's very broad as to who can share their data, but the idea is that you could see all these different funding flows across the country. How old is that now, is 360 Giving standard? So I joined 360 Giving as the first CEO in November 2015, but actually the standard, we started working on it in 2013. Our founder got a group of tech experts together to help look at what the schema would be like and test it using some data that they scraped from different grant makers' websites. So actually, we've yet to approve, formally approve version one, which we're hoping to do in 2018, but we've had a kind of test run going for the last three, four years, and at the moment we've got 70 organisations using it, and that includes central government departments and charitable trusts and foundations and local authorities. So we've had quite a few years of proving that it works and proving that different kind of grant makers can use it as well. So we're not, we wanted to make sure we weren't too restrictive before we launch version one and, and we know it's fit for purpose. So I imagine that grant makers and small charities aren't particularly technical. No, they're not. They needed some explanation as to what open data was. So we've had to explain to them about things like the importance of open licensing um, and what we really mean by open and actually why putting PDFs on your website might be transparent, but that doesn't count as open data. And they have found that conversation, I think, useful and interesting, but some of them have struggled to, to grasp the technical side of it and, and, and why they have to still own their data, but we ask them to put it under an open licence so we can link it to a central registry. So I think there is still some, some misunderstanding around our methodology, and they think they're giving us data to do interesting things with, and then they appear on websites and platforms and different tools... And it's, it's getting them back to basics of actually just raw data standards and why, if you yourself make that available, anyone else can access and use it. So there has been a whole education process as part of this, um, and that is still ongoing. But there's been some huge benefits for that as well around getting people to think more about how they share and release data and, and why the information they collect actually might be of interest to other people. I think that's been a real revelation to some of them. They don't realise that they're sitting on a goldmine of information themselves. Do you think more charities are coming to terms with that now? I think they are, and I think I think they're seeing it beyond the transparency approach, which which is what we were talking about a lot in the early days. You know, why why be open and transparent, and actually now seeing it more as a data use exercise and um, something that benefits 
not only themselves, but particularly their grantees as well. I mean, we've found it interesting talking to, to fund seekers, the amount of time they waste just trying to find out who funds the stuff that they do, actually who funds projects in the northeast or who funds projects for women and girls and the time wasted on trying to check your eligibility grant makers are acknowledging that you know that's the very organizations that they want to support that's taking away valuable time that they could be spending on delivering the projects so i think there's been a big kind of conversation around actually if we can make it easier for them as well as easier for our peers to see what we're funding so they can take more informed decisions that that's a benefit to the sector as a whole and and, and putting data in that conversation not just clear websites and application forms, but data is part of that as well. So you've worked on the on IATI, which is the International Aid Transparency Initiative as well, which is a, a more sort of seasoned standard. Yeah, uh, it is. It's, it's much older, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and it's much bigger. And I'm, I'm laughing partly because when I was hired to um, start running 360 Giving and write the strategy... I had a lot of learning from IATI on, on ways I would do things differently. Actually, IATI, it's international, so they have to think about a, a big variety of funders. You've got a lot of different language speakers involved. You've got governments involved who are subject to freedom of information legislation. And you've got a schema that's got a lot more layers to it, but also uses XML. And a big learning for 360 Giving was we didn't want to use XML, we were going to use Excel, because we knew that our, our audience... UK grant makers primarily are a lot a lot more low tech. They wouldn't know what XML was. Um, we needed to have some quick wins. So we've got quite a flat, a simple schema that uses Excel, but we also built in use quite early on in our strategy to show that the data was both useful and being used and to show the potential. So, our, I mean, our big learning, I think my big learning for my ATI was use it and show potential earlier on. Otherwise, you're in danger of it becoming a an exercise in data sharing but not having your users at the heart of that which I think is really important for 360 Giving. We have to think about how people will use this data to drive grant makers to do it because they're not subject to the same scrutiny and legislation that governments might be for example. So what would drive them to engage with us? Yeah so on incentives how do you see the difference being between 360 Giving which the incentives are around use right and around the impact that it can have. Yeah. And with IATI, the incentives are more around ranking. They are, that's not necessarily the right incentive, yeah. And I think a lot of IATI publishers would say that they they want to share this information so people can use it, and particularly partner country governments can use it and pull it into their financial management systems and use that data as part of their budget planning. I think you're right, though. I think as someone who used to run an aid transparency index that used IATI data, and I set that index up, unfortunately, I think maybe the wrong incentive has been about how you score in that index and the ranking, and that's not the incentive we would want longer term. I think for 360 giving, that that wouldn't work. Charitable trusts and foundations are a lot smaller. They're more private. As I said, they're not subject to legislation. I think for them, it's got to be around the incentives in terms of the benefits for them, but also for their grantees. And I just think there's something about showing the value of use to them being part of that conversation because they couldn't see that as clearly as perhaps some governments might do who are perhaps more used to sharing data opening on platforms. They don't necessarily have those platforms, grant makers. They they don't exist yet. Whereas governments actually often have a platform for their various open data sets they might be releasing already. So it was getting them from a lower base and bringing them with us rather than doing kind of harder core advocacy with ranking because I, I just knew that would put some of them off and we'd never get any engagement from them. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what advice would you give to groups 
developing new standards, given your experience, your broad experience on standards in general? Test it out. There isn't, uh, there isn't a perfect world of data. That doesn't exist. And anyone who's worked with data for any length of time will tell you that's, that's the case. And, and we, all, we all wish it was easier, but it's, it's not. T test out what you've got. Does it work? Great. Keep working with it. Um, if you need to make a change, make it. Don't agonise over it. Just get on with it. OK, you've got something wrong with date formats. OK, you could have numbered this rather than used English, English language and you could have you know, thought about making it easier for non-native speakers. It's fine. Change it. But manage the version control. So if you're making a change, be clear when and how you do that. Tell your community you're doing that. And then have, have versions that acknowledge how different people are using different versions of the standard so people know oh, that's that data set that I'm looking at from 2012 uses that older version. Don't necessarily assume people will go back and, and change that. Is it even reasonable to ask people that might be issuing millions of pounds of the contracts or millions of pounds of aid or indeed grants? You know, Actually, are they going to go back and, and change it every time? Maybe not, but that's okay because you can build tools and platforms that align between those versions. And my other big thing is take people with you. That's my other big piece of learning. You know, build things, show potential, show people, don't tell them. I have spent a couple of years talking about why organisation identifiers are important. And you can see people's eyes glazing over when you talk to them about it. But actually, if you show to people on a, on a tool or a platform why collecting a charity number or postcode information or geocode information is important, they will get it within five seconds of you showing it to them rather than 15 minutes of having to tell them when they might not feel that inspired. Actually, if you can say, this is why I can show your grants on a map because you're collecting beneficiary data, not just grantee data. So I can show the end beneficiary rather than the location of the office for the person that, or the organisation that receives the money. They get it. If you can talk to people about why charity and company numbers are important and they kind of think they know, but actually you can show them in a neat tool, why they were sharing this information in the same way. They could all identify the same charity that's getting the grants. They get it. So really, show, show don't tell is, is my big piece of information. And give them guidelines. Give them a help desk or a person, a human that they can speak to in their own language who gets who they are and what they do and understands them and listens. And, it, and also is willing to learn. I think actually for that person who's got to sit and open up that data and press you know, the go button, it can be a bit nerve-wracking. Give them some guidelines. A bit like a bit like Delia Smith and her cookbook, when she kind of says, look, you know, if it's going wrong, this could be why. Add some thickener, add some milk, add some cream. I actually think Delia is like the queen of that when it comes to cookery tips. We need that for standards. Don't panic. This is why it's not coming up properly. And by the way, these three other people have had that as well, and this is what they did, this is what they learned. And just have someone they can pick up the phone to who isn't a militant data purist, but actually gets what they're doing and, and gets maybe the databases or the systems that they're using so they can understand how they're getting that data out. And I think be willing to listen and learn. You don't know it all. You think you know it all. You don't. These are the people who are working and collecting this data on a day-to-day -day basis. They may know why they're not collecting that data. It might be a women's refuge. It's not appropriate to release the location of that organisation. It might be personal data. It might be a highly political grant that you you think isn't that political but for them actually they can tell you why it is just be willing to listen and learn and you might learn that they're overcautious, or there's something you didn't think of or you know they're worried about something from a previous experience I, I think there's something about starting them building and taking people with you and I think there's something also about building data ambassadors actually those people that come with you in the early days who are willing to be guinea pigs and get it wrong 
and tell others they're great champions for you. Of course, I'm going to sit there and my team are going to sit there and say, do this, it's a good thing. But if one of their peers tells them, that's got so much more impact than us coming in as outsiders who don't give grants. Actually, someone else coming along and saying, we did it and the world didn't fall in and it was great and now we're using the data, that has 10 times more impact than us doing it. So building those ambassadors, rewarding them, congratulating them, letting them you know, talk about the good work they're doing, that goes a long way. I mean, one thing I always do whenever we get a new publisher is I write them a thank you letter and I write to their chief executive and I name the person. And that's been, and it's a tiny thing, you know, I send them a letter with our logo and say, well done, and, you know, we tweet about it. But that's been hugely successful for this data analyst who no one really knows what they do, who's just done this brilliant thing, which people see as a bit of a magic trick. They've opened up all this data and suddenly the CEO knows about it. And I think that... That's, it's a small thing, but you know, thank people and congratulate them because I think often the people who are running the databases and collecting the data don't get acknowledged in the way they should and valued in the way they should. And they often know more about the organisation and what it's doing and where it's spending money and what it's up to than some other people might realise in, in the, in the organisation. So big them up would be my other bit of feedback. So it's really like welcoming them into a community almost. Yeah, and then you can join them up. You know, we hold these, what we call doctor data surgeries where we get them together in a room and they just riff off each other and I don't even really need to be there we just give them tea and coffee and sometimes pizza and beer and they'll just talk to each other and that for us is brilliant we're, we're not even needing to really we just help convene it but you let them talk and learn from each other and then the conversation moves on beyond sharing data in a standard format to actually how we're using that to learn and build and grow and develop and do other things with the data and, and crucially to put it with other data sets which is where the interesting part is grants data in and of itself isn't necessarily that interesting but if you layer that with indices of deprivation where people live where free school meal claimants are you know other data sets then it gets interesting and, and leave those people to have those conversations and you just give them the space to convene and, and do that and, and we learn hugely from that as well and are there any other benefits that you've seen say for the the fabric of charitable giving in the UK so far have you seen any emerge yet were 360 giving to to continue growing can you see other benefits emerging yeah I mean I think one thing one unexpected outcome which I should have seen coming but but didn't was just a wider data quality conversation so organizations that are sharing their data with us as part of that are often looking at data quality actually why are they collecting this information that they've been collecting maybe for 10 years or longer and what else should they be collecting what should they be doing differently how else could they open that up? So we have found, as part of the, the publishing process to the 360 Giving Standard, some organisations have done a wider review of their information management systems, what information they release on their website, what information they give to their staff team and their board, what they release publicly, how they engage with other funders and their peers around what information they use. And that, for us, has been very exciting. The other big benefit we're seeing happening is with the Charity Commission, which at the moment accepts um, scanned PDFs for the annual return, which is, is the form you give as a charity to talk about you know, what you've spent where in, in the year. And we're having a conversation with them about how they can make that data open. So by 2020, potentially, we could be looking at having all charities' data that they report to the Charity Commission available in an open format. So you wouldn't even need necessarily to go to the 360 Giving Standard and look up data on charities and charity numbers, you could suck that in directly from the Charity Commission website. Imagine if you could do that from there and from Companies House, and then you can map these different data sets together. And then you're getting a much bigger picture beyond spending, but of the true size and scale of the sector. So it's about getting others 
that we work with to look at you know, what they can add, what value they add. And that, we're starting to see that happen. We're having some great conversations with the Charity Commission and with DCMS around that. And I think, for me, it's about where does this go next. It's not just funding data, but it's what do we know about the, the voluntary and charity sector in the UK more broadly. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Rachel Rank. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the ODI podcast, covering inspiring stories of data use and impacts around the world. This is one in a series of podcasts about standards as part of our research and development programme.